Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Podcast. And before we dive into our guest this week, just wanted to reach out and say thank you again for hanging out with us. And we're very excited to keep bringing you information to help you find your prime. Today, we have another guest, Tyler Kalasi. He is one of our original coaches from way back in the day from CrossFit Utica and now Prime Movement Performance. He's been venturing around the country doing some travel PT work and helping us also do some remote programming, remote coaching for folks under the Prime Movement Performance umbrella through Prime Connect. So just a lot of different things that we talked about today before we get into it. We took a poll on Instagram Uh, some topics to rate that are overrated or underrated. And that's kind of where we go with this. So we will talk about different topics and how we feel about them and how they are viewed and used in general fitness applications. And in there, there are a lot of buts and if thens, this type of thing. So please listen to all of it. Enjoy it. Have fun and hope you learn something. Yeah. So we can help you continue to find your prime. Let's get it. Hey! Let's go. Bet. I'm at my. I'm at my prime. Whoa. Uh, Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Podcast. Today we have a special guest. Traveled all the way here from the West Coast just to sit in on the podcast. Tyler Kalasi. If you don't know who Tyler is, Tyler is. One of our original coaches at CrossFit Utica slash Prime Movement Performance. And he is still one of our coaches remotely. As I said before, he lives in California right now. No, not California. You're in Washington. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. He just moved to Washington, (laughs) kind of. And uh, he has been a traveling PT for a couple of years now, right? Yeah. Just going on three. Three years traveling PT. And we might talk about that a little bit. But he's been traveling the country, uh, taking different contracts in different places as a physical therapist and has been finding his way into different gyms and training and helping other people in a variety of different ways. And it's like I said, he's one of our staff remotely as well. So it's good to have him in person to be a part of the podcast and hanging out with Tori and I in the studio. And Tori has some good stuff to start us off with. So Tyler, first off, thank you. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always good to be back with the with the fam around some familiar people and training and talking about all the good stuff. So Tori, start us off. Okay. So we're doing like an over or underrated yeah. type of episode. So starting with the intensity of exercises. Intensity of exercise. So we had posted a for a little context, we had posted a question about doing an overrated, underrated segment on the podcast. And one of the things that came up was high intensity exercise. So we want to talk about a lot of different varieties of intensity just to give you more information, right? The idea here is to educate the listeners on intensity in general and different topics that can help you live a better life. So not, we're not just going to talk about high intensity, but we will originally talk about if it's overrated or underrated. And we're actually gonna have Tori overrate or underrated too. And then we're going to talk about different intensities and why we might want to do one thing or another. So right off the bat, Tori, high intensity exercise, overrated or underrated? I would say overrated. Ty? For sure. Overrated. For sure. 
I'm going to say it's, it's, I'd like to lean and like it's properly rated, but I th- it's going to be a little overrated for me. It's going to be a little overrated as well. And Tori, why do you think it's overrated? I'm really intrigued by your answer right now. I would now. just say someone who doesn't partake in what you guys do. <laughs> um, I think to me how I would compare it is you see like the other end of people who go like psycho with workouts and they just go so hardcore and so ham and they can't get enough. And then they end up injured or stubborn with what they're doing. And to me, that would just equal high intensity and it's no good. Mm-hmm. So all the, the bad things that can come from it. Yeah. All right. Ty, what do you think? Uh, I think it's it's overrated because there's um, so much benefit you can gain from other aspects of, of intensity. And the, the benefits from high intensity can be real great for a real specific population of people. But for, for most of us, general population, I think that... Um, you know, we could benefit from other things. So overrated. Yeah. Uh, so there's a bunch of different things that can go into what, what Tyler just said, talking about different intensity. So I was at a, a workshop conference certification, something like that. And there was a guest speaker there, Mike Guadango, who is going to be on the podcast soon, shortly. He was supposed to be on with Booker, but had a conflict of scheduling. But anyway, in that his presentation portion of the certification, he talked about there was really only two intensities that you want to work at high intensity or low intensity. He talked about there was no middle intensity, middle intensity being like a really weird spot that nothing really changes necessarily. Whereas low intensity, you can do get a lot of great benefit from, right? So that like lower aerobic training, lower intensity skill work. A lot of things happen at the lower intensity levels that we don't, always think about. And that's where really, that's when you develop your skills. That's when you can develop a lot of different things like, you know, the cardio endurance part of it. You can do a lot of things at the low intensity and then at the high intensity, you can also get a lot of great benefit from. What do, what do you think about that kind of way of looking at it, Ty? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, th- there's obviously a massive gray area between low intensity and high intensity, but I think to simplify it, um, to give some, some people something a little bit more digestible, yeah, we can say tons of benefits, maybe a few um, negatives to low intensity. There's obviously tons of benefits to high intensity, but I think that maybe instead of saying high intensity exercise is overrated, we can say it's overprescribed or overdone, right? So all of those benefits are still there when we're doing high intensity exercise. It, it's it's greatly rated, but I think it's overdone in the grand scheme of, of a week or a month or someone is you know, total life, right? Like, like I said before that, that general population needs some of those benefits you're talking about from the low intensity exercise or the, the steady state type of cardio things we, we usually think of as cardio more than we need the high intensity exercise. And I think part of the reason I'm saying it's overrated is because we haven't learned enough from the, over, uh, from the low intensity exercise, you know, the pacing, how we should breathe, what that stuff should feel like. Um, we haven't learned enough in that realm to actually apply it to going hard and knowing where the, our top end intensity is and things like that. So I like the, the splitting it up. Um, I think you can hang out in that gray area, but only once you've gotten really experienced with, with I guess, both ends of the spectrum. Well, I would think even the gray area, if you're thinking about even if we're talking, you know, high intensity or lower, whatever, if you are thinking about like threshold type training, which is where you're, Tyler's talking about like pacing, you're talking about pacing at a quote unquote higher intensity. 
I think that still would be in my book, at least it wouldn't be considered a medium intensity pace. It'd be a pretty, it's a challenging pace, but a sustainable pace. So I would still classify that as high intensity in some ways. And when we're talking about general population, I think CrossFit has done a great job in a lot of ways, putting a barbell into some people's hands, like teaching people about functional movements and squatting and deadlifting and so on and so forth. But I think why we're classifying this as overrated is as Tyler had said, it's overprescribed. People, I, I hear stories of, I've never actually been a part. That's not, a, that's not completely true. I've been a part of a CrossFit gym and I've been a coach at a different CrossFit gym other than my own, but I've never experienced firsthand some of the more, I guess, intense versions of CrossFit gyms or high intensity training where people program really excessive work. Now I've had a couple of personal training clients and a couple of members at our gym go visit other places and train at other gyms where they're doing very high volume, very high intensity movements back to back to back to back to back days. And this is what we're talking about. Like it's overrated. Like we don't need to do it that much to get the benefit from it. We don't need to over prescribe it. We don't need to do high intensity every day because to go to Tori's point, when people get addicted and they get stuck on this, I need to do it every day idea and you go hard every day that's when your body eventually starts to break down and that's where injury comes in. And then you have to see Tyler in the <laughs> clinic. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, the aspect of, of too much, right? So high intensity, um, we can, you know, talking about high intensity training just as it is, it's wonderful. It isn't overrated, but high intensity training, um, like done or prescribed at the, at the frequency that we see in many places for sure overrated, right? Even an athlete, or a, an individual, right, who likes to go work out, let's say they've been working out for five years, they've been doing some crossfit type stuff, maybe they did a little um, bodybuilding, whatever, they're experienced for five years, that person still shouldn't be doing quote unquote, high intensity training, more than a couple days a week. And when I mean high intensity, I mean, they get to the point where they're at 90% of their heart rate max, they're really sucking wind, they, they finish the workout feeling like, you know, they got crushed, you know, that is what a lot of people think of as high intensity training. And that doesn't need to happen as much as it's happening. That's where I guess I'm coming from in the overrated rating. Yeah. And a rule of thumb I, as for you as a listener, when you're working out is that even on quote unquote high intensity days, you should still have feel like you have 10% left in the tank when you leave the gym. It's always to feel like it's always better to feel like you can do more than to overdo it and be hurt for tomorrow. And I think for us, we always, we've always had an ebb and a flow to our programming model. Like maybe Monday's harder and then Tuesday's a little bit easier Then Wednesday's we call our groove days, which is kind of like a lighter day. And then Thursday we might hit it hard again. And then Friday's a little bit lower. And then Saturday might, you know, Saturdays are kind of like a free for all because it's one class partner jamboree. I don't even know what to call those, <laughs> but, and then Sunday's off. So as you think of, as you're, if you are a coach or a trainer and you're, you're writing programming for some folks and you're writing programming for somebody who likes to move their body every day, you have to, and you have an obligation to that person to give them an ebb and flow, you know, cause it's not bad to move and exercise every day, as long as it's not high intensity every day. Like Tyler said, maybe it's two or three days a week out of those six days where you're doing something that might get you going, you can get your central nervous system fired up and fried up, so to speak, <laughs> and then have a down day you know, the high low, they call it the high low method. Um, and there's like Charlie Francis, who is a famous sprint coach who that's what he used to do with his athletes. He would do a high low method, like sprint real hard one day, 
Then the next day is a low day, real soft, maybe some skill work, then a really hard day, then a really low day, and then maybe a day off in between. So the high-low method is a great way to think about training and programming for folks. But I guess that can segue us into, if we're talking about overrated or underrated, we had on there also steady state or cardio or aerobics or whatever. If you think about that traditional long, slower distance type idea or something that's at lower intensity. So, Tori, what do you think? Overrated or underrated? You like to run. You like to jog. Yes. Um, <laughs> on its own with nothing else, overrated. Ooh, okay. Oh, she added a caveat. That <laughs> yeah, I didn't know we could add these like sub ratings. Yeah, sub I just categories. knew that was the right answer, yeah, so I had to pull it out. Answer. Yeah. You. What about you, Ty? Yeah, I'm going to say in the context of, of what we were just talking about, I'll say it's underrated. See, I'm going to go with Tori on this one. Even with, I think a lot of folks overrate being fit or doing things with low intensity activity. Now, if we're putting it all into the same pool and we're talking about different things, which we're going to go into here, but I think a lot of people, their first initial, your first initial jaunt into exercise shouldn't be going for a, a run, right? If your first goal is to lose weight, I'm going to use my brother as context. Both my family, I, I come from a very heavy, overweight family, which could be a reason why I own a gym and do a lot of fitness things, but they're very you know, unhealthy. They're very heavy. And my brother who lives in a different, you know, another city over who's probably like five, nine, five, 10, 350 pounds, maybe a little bit more tells me, Hey, aunt, I think I, I want to lose some weight. I'm going to start, I'm going to start going for a run every day. And I tell him, I was like, all right, call me in a week and let me know how your ankles, knees and hips feel. Right. Cause that shouldn't be his first exposure to it. Now, if we think about relative intensity, which can we get, we can talk about That's why we can talk about intensity all day. Jogging for him might be too intense. So that might actually be high intensity for him where his, he should be like, I'm going to go for a walk for 20 minutes a day. So I think when we're thinking about certain forms of exercise, we have to almost look at them in a, a, you know, a different context because we have to look at ourselves and maybe what's really low intensity for me as somebody who, like we, I talked about with my athletes earlier, we had a, a female who's been, who's 24 years old and she's trained with like young, younger college age girls, 19, 18, 19, and she's lifting a lot more weight. And I had this conversation like, well, Hey, how long have you been lifting? She says a long time. And then when I tell it to people, I've been lifting weights for like 23 years. So my, relative low intensity versus my relative high intensity is much, much different than somebody who's just starting exercise for the first time. Yeah. I think that. So are you, are you still underrated? I, I, <laughs> I'm definitely. Well, different I mean, context, a different context. So I'm definitely still underrated I, only because I think even the people that are doing too much cardio, we'll mm -hmm. say, right. So I touched on this before the people that like start their workouts with a with a jog or like, yep, every day I go and I do the class workout or if they're in on their own, like I do the machines and, and do some lifting and then I go do jogging or I get on the rower for a long time. I still think their cardio is underrated. And I say that because when we do high intensity exercise, a lot of people are doing it with the intent to get really fit and in athletic terms, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Luke burn some calories, look better, but they want to get really fit and athletic. When people do low intensity cardio, many of those people are doing it to get fit in an aesthetic term, to lose weight, look better, 
right? So I got to, I'm going to, I'm going to dive in here for yeah. a little bit. So two things there. Are you saying that people should get on the rower and the bike after class? Are you, are you giving that as like a recommendation that you might think that as a good benefit or I are you, I think, or are you, or were you discouraging that? I'm, I didn't know where you were at with that. I just, yeah. So yeah. I'm discouraging it if it's done for the wrong reasons. So like if you did class, you're like, I need to do more. And I go for like a 5k run right after class. I think that's a poor idea. Okay. That's why I just wanted to put that out there. And then second, uh, this is where I, I kind of, I agree with Ty, but I think this, this is also a part of where people get lost is we're trying to get, get more fit. Both of them were, were to get more fit. Right. Mm -hmm. But then people who potentially, you know, we're, putting them into buckets here and people who do like the longer state cardio are doing it for aesthetic purposes, potentially lose weight. Whereas people who are doing the higher intensity are doing it for aesthetic purposes to look athletic. And there's plenty of crossover, but for sure. And I think, but if people look, I think most people, this is me generalizing about my own opinions. I think most people want to look athletic for sure. And they don't know what the training is that looks at that gets people to look athletic. So it becomes, let's just do more. Right. And I think that's where the low intensity cardio type stuff gets a bad name. No matter what you do, I think it all should be sustainable or consistent. Mm -hmm. So whether you do, if you're doing low intensity cardio type work, you should be able to feel like I, this is welcoming into your you know, workout on a few days a week basis. You're, you're willing to do it. If you do high intensity work, you should feel like you're ready to do it. You have the energy, you have the output to do that on the days that you do it. Um, I think sharing the, your week or your program between low intensity, high intensity, a little bit of middle in the road enough to where you never feel, or you almost never feel like you don't want to do it. That's when you know you're doing the right amount. And I think it becomes that way when you start to apply the appropriate goals to it, um, you know, more so and not instead of losing weight or looking better. Um, and understanding why you're doing those specific things, which brings me back to why I think high intensity is overrated for most folks and low intensity is underrated for most folks because we don't understand why we're doing high intensity. We have the wrong reasons or sometimes have the wrong reasons to do low intensity. But if some of that gets shifted around, we find ourselves a coach, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or you know, go to a group class where we can understand those things the relationships between low intensity and high intensity exercise can make more sense. And someone can guide you to find the right balance of all of it, regardless of if you're doing it for athletic purposes, or if you're doing it to look better, or if you're just doing it to feel better for your life. Right. And I think in terms of the context of your style of training, right. And I thought we talked about this in terms of relative intensity a little while ago. So if you're trying to, and this, this happens a lot in the gym or different things like that, people will say, you know, I've been coming to CrossFit X, Y, and Z for two or three years, and I still can't do double unders. Just a prime example. But double unders are usually programmed in a high intensity setting. For context, if you only do things in high intensity settings and your heart rate is cranked and you're, everything's going on, you're in like fight or flight mode, your brain isn't like learning new things. It's just trying to survive. But if you're in a low intensity mode where your heart rate is low and there's no real risk of dying, then your body accepts and your brain accepts new stimulus to learn new skills. So if I ever wanted to learn a skill like a double under, which is where you jump and have two revolutions of the rope, then you want to learn that in a low intensity setting. You don't want to learn it in a high intensity setting and keep trying to be like, oh, I keep trying to practice. I keep tripping up. I keep tripping up. It's like, yeah, because 
you're, this isn't the right environment for you to learn that. So if you're trying to get better at a skill or you're trying to get stronger, you're trying to do that, you don't do that in the high intensity setting, right? You do that in a lower intensity setting. If you're trying to get better at Olympic lift, you don't do it after rowing a 2K and then trying to do the Olympic lifts. That's not where you learn your technique. You learn your technique in a lower, more controlled environment. And that's where the, I do think the lower intensity is underrated a lot in terms of because people don't use it enough. But uh, you know, the, other, the other side of it, I think the steady state cardio stuff can be overrated because it gets, it gets pushed on too much. Just like we were talking about before, it gets over-programmed by an individual doing it themselves. Like people always want to go for a run. They always want to do this. They always want to do that. And a lot of times it can be, uh, I find that people who want to go for a 20-mile bike ride all the time, they kind of do it, sometimes they do it for mental clarity to kind of avoid and wash things out. So there's a lot of different things that play into it. And I think finding uh, other solutions and other ways to also challenge the body and, and just give yourself some different variety will help you in the long run, both fight off some overuse injuries as well as potentially reaching goals and, and learning new skills and so on and so forth. All the other benefits that come from the variety of different trainings. So low intensity is good. High intensity is good, but both are good and great in moderation. It's all about learning and understanding how they all should feel. What do we got on the list? What about tempo? Tempo, tempo, tempo. All right, tempo. You go first. You know what tempo is? You know what tempo is. Yeah, I've been watching it happen. I've been watching. I've watched it happen a couple times. A I've never times. done one. No. You've done a lunge at tempo. I've had you do a, a split squat at tempo. Oh, okay. I trust you on that. I don't remember. Um, I would say it's underrated. Yeah. From a learning standpoint. What do you think? Underrated. Yeah, it's highly underrated. <laughs> highly <laughs> underrated. So we're, we're all in super agreement here. So underrated. So tempo, I'll explain tempo, and then I'll let Tyler talk about it a little bit. Tempo Tyler, new nickname. I like it. So tempo, if you're not familiar, is we all do tempo at some point. No, if you do an exercise, you're doing it at a tempo, right? You're eccentric, like the lengthening of your muscles. So I'll use a squat for an example. When you're squatting down into the position, that's your eccentric or the lengthening of your muscles. So that's your first number of your tempo. The second number is your change from your eccentric to concentric. So they're like the pause in between the two. And then when you're coming up, that would be kind of the concentric where your muscles are shortening. And then the last number in there is your pause in between your repetitions. So there's always four numbers in a tempo prescription. So an ex a really common tempo prescription might be three, two, X, one. So if I'm doing it for the squat again, it'd be three seconds down into the squat a two-second hold in the bottom of your squat, and X stands for move as fast as you possibly can, right? Explode. And then a one-second breath in between, and then you're going to repeat. Three seconds down, two-second hold, explode up. One-second pause and keep it going. So that would be a tempo prescription for a squat. So why, Ty, at, from a physiological standpoint, and I guess a neural neurological standpoint, is tempo highly underrated? So, well, well, I first said underrated because I guess what I meant was underutilized, but it, that is because it is it's underrated. Same thing. Right. So tempo training is amazing for a few things. One, uh, control, right? Having a time-based structure forces you to have to control that weight or your body for that time. Um, the second thing is learning, learning the, the position or the pattern you need to be in to get to the bottom of that squat 
Um, and I guess the fourth is cellular development that comes from being under that tension of the weight or of your body moving so slowly or in that pause for so long, right? So if we go back to probably the, 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 the best one of it all is the control and the learning. And that's where Anthony was talking about, like the, the neurophysiology of this entire thing. Most people who get into weight training um, or just some sort of working out um, need more control, right? And most people who get into it in the beginning, a lot of their improvements come from improvements at the nervous system. They're just getting better at moving, quite frankly. They're learning how to move quicker, quicker or move slower or better control. And when we apply a tempo to a movement, we give the body an opportunity to learn. It's a great way to add more time under weight. We call it time under tension without giving someone a crazy amount of reps. So if we took that back squat for the three zero X one, right? We're giving them three seconds to get into the bottom of the squat. And if we change that zero to a two or a three, now we're making them pause in the bottom of the squat for three seconds. So if we only do five reps, let's say we want, we don't want to crush their knees or their hips, or their ankles, cause they're new at squatting, but we make them do a three, three X one squat. Essentially we've given them 30 seconds of, of moving time and close to 40, 45 seconds of time with a bar on their back or a kettlebell in their hands. And they only did five reps. So we added so much value to one rep by increasing the tempo. And I think that's where um, I love it, right? Quite frankly, tempo adds more value to each rep or, or um, each set that you do. Yeah. And I give context, if you're familiar, like, so a wall ball, for example, which is a faster dynamic squatting pattern. So Tyler was talking about time under tension or reps. I can do approximately 20 wall balls in 45 seconds, which Tyler probably can't do. So if you're doing 20 repetitions of a movement versus five repetitions of a movement, you can just see that if I'm bending my knees 20 times fast versus five times, my joints are probably going to like that a little bit better. If you're someone who is prepared for those 20 reps, fine. But most of us, quite frankly, aren't. And that's why tempo is so valuable because it gives us an opportunity to learn on a neural level, but it gives our joints, our ligaments, you know, the joint surfaces, a chance to become more robust, build more cells, become thicker. So we can eventually maybe one day handle those 20 repetitions, you know, if that's what we want to do, or be able to handle the 20 times we have to move the heavy bag of mulch or the bricks from the back of our car, you know, over to the wheelbarrow. And yeah, and just talking about the, the connective tissue part of it, when you do like 20 dynamic squats, like a wall ball, if you're not familiar with the wall ball, it's like where you come down fast, catch a ball, snap it up and throw it up to a target. Okay. So when you do that, a lot of times your bounce or your rebound is coming from connective tissue, ligaments, tendons, all your stuff in your joints, your muscles aren't doing the, the change of direction. Like we were talking about with the tempo. And when you do tempo, your musculature has to do, it takes the brunt of the work versus your connective tissue. So like Tyler was saying, it gives your connective tissue a chance to one, take a break and two, build more resilience for the more dynamic stuff. If that's something that you want to do. So we're, we're giving it a break instead of just keep pounding it with the fast dynamic stuff. And then we're also building it up to be able to handle more dynamic stuff. If that's something that we wanted to do in the future. So tempo and isometric holds, right? Also like staying in a position for a period of time. Like let's say if you were to get into a squat position and just hold the bottom of your squat in an active way, not just a passive like seated position, then holding those positions also kind of build up that connective tissue, build up that musculature because we're, we're now, we're not even moving the joint. So it allows us to build strength and resiliency in that position. And one of the things I've, I really like, and I'm going to be incorporating to our next cycle of our athletes is we're going to be doing split squat holds as part of our warm up. 
and split squats hold if you've ever done it is getting into a lunge position and getting your knee as close to the floor as you can without touching it to the floor. And you get twofold there because you're going to get like the concentric quad of the front leg and you're going to be getting a lengthening type knees over toes position on the back quad, which also strengthens for knee health and different things there. So you get twofold with these split squats positions and different things that we might be able to incorporate with some isometrics or tempo training that you don't get from that fast, high speed, high speed, quote unquote, high intensity training. <laughs> back to the high intensity. Yeah. So I just want to back out there. As, as, you know, as far as the tempo goes, we spoke a lot of it um, in the context of maybe someone who is new or early on in their, in their entire journey of training. But I, I see it a lot with, with patients and, and clients alike. We, you know, we often use tempo as a damper, a, a way to kind of bring you back, kind of reel you in, whether it's because maybe we think or we agree that you're going too hard or going too heavy or you have some sort of ache and pain or limitation. Tempo is a great way to kind of reel things in literally slow it down, get your body to find better positions again, get your nervous system to be prepared for the loads that you were trying to move or the intensities you were trying to do. And then we can walk it back out into that intensity later on. But it's great to get people introduced to fitness, to resistance training, but it's also a great way to kind of reel some folks in. And also a great way if you are, like Tyler was saying, experienced, you can reel them in, but also if you struggle with certain positions. So if there's a, there's a position in a squat or a position on a pull-up or a position on a deadlift that you struggle with, playing around with tempo and, and throwing a pause, let's say if we're deadlifting and that initial pull, you always kind of give a little, you know, a little herky-jerky at the back. So if I throw a tempo in, we're like, hey, we're going to pause for two seconds off an inch off the floor, it builds resilience in your initial first pull and now I can build resilience and, and robustness in that position and that can strengthen everything else around that. So it's also for an experienced lifter, if you do struggle with a certain position, we can use it for that as well, as well as slowing you down and keeping you healthy, as well as all the other benefits that come from the tempo and the isometrics. So we've talked about basically three ways to use tempo. I'm going to ask you, right, and I don't fully agree with generalizing, but... If someone wanted to introduce tempo into their training and they don't have a coach or a group class to work in, what would you say the best tempo to get into if you're introducing yourself to tempo training? For a, for a person to do it, I would say like a, a rule of thumb would be to try to go down slower than you come up. Okay. I like it. Simple enough. So a lot of people, like when they bench press, they'll try to bounce it off their chest. So, and also I tell folks all the time in class, you know, because there's a lot of research that goes around and I know like people who have a lot more money than we do and have like different training resources. I know colleges do this sometimes for like college football athletes and different professional plays. Like they have, they time the bar speed. And if the bar comes up and under, because they're power athletes and they're trying to move things fast and be explosive. If the bar comes from that concentric in over a second, it's too slow and it doesn't count. So if you think about it tempo wise, if you go down two seconds and come up one sec under a second, That'd be a good starting point. And think about like if those people you see in the gym who are just like flying through reps and they're bouncing, like using that rebound, think of push-up. Think about like hitting your chest off the floor and trying to bounce out of that as fast as you can. If you went down for two seconds and try to come up fast, go down two seconds, come up fast, because when the eccentric is the part where a lot of people get hurt because the momentum carries you into a position that you're not strong enough to be in. Do you think that using a tempo has to change how many reps you do. Let's say someone has been doing, you know, three sets of 10 for their bench press and you tell them that they need to do like a 
two, one, 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 right? So two seconds down, mm -hmm. one pause, one second up, one pause at the top. Should they go in next time they train and, and use that two, one, one, one at 10 reps? They wouldn't get 10. Yes, that's what I'm, okay, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could try to get 10, but I doubt at that tempo you would get 10. If you've never even tried, like the simplest test is to go do a couple of air squats. Like a lot of people can air squat, right? So go do a couple of air squats where you do two, one, one, right? So what he's saying is two seconds down, one second pause, one second stand up and do a, do 10 squats at that and then try 10 squats as fast as you can. Which one hurts more, <laughs> right? That two, one, one is going to hurt. And a lot of people, the push up people can do a great eccentric, but then they can't get up. I've seen people, I've seen that a lot. People can be like, oh, I'm great. I'm great. And they hit the, the bar of the chest or they get their chest to the floor. Like, all right, I can't get back up. Burnt out. So if you can do that, like that bounce, you'd get that rebound, which helps you, you know, people bounce off their chest. They get that initial part where they're not strong in that, that like the le most lengthened part of the, the exercise where you're not strong in, which then allows you and, and opens you up for the potential for injury in the long term. If we're just keep using that bouncing, that dynamic fashion of that. I think on the other side of tempo, right? We just talked a lot about slowing down and adding pauses. There's a a benefit when you get used to tempo to take away rest during your repetitions, which will probably also make you have to go lighter, right? right. So we looked at Anthony's classic tempo, like the three zero X one, or kind of the general recommendation of that two one one one, right? If we go something like two zero two zero, that means you're going down for two seconds and up for two seconds, but you're not pausing at all. So we go back to that person who's benching. They're used to pausing at the top for a second or two so they can really get a nice fast bounce off their chest, right? A couple of things wrong there, but we'll dive in here. Let's say they take away the pause at the top and the bottom and they add two second down, two second up. Massive difference in how it feels. They're not gonna be able to do that same weight for 10 reps because there is no chance to um, take a breath at the top. There's you're, you're, you're not ever relieving that tension. So that's yeah. like where Tyler was talking about time under tension or time under the weight under the load, when you're doing that without the pause, you're keeping that tension constant. Like he was saying, the bench press example, when you have your arms locked out, you're done, right? You're just like chilling there. You could hang out there for a very long time right. without really be having the muscles kind of quote unquote turned on because you're just sitting on structure, right? You're just sitting on your, your joint structures there with the arms extended. That's your strongest position to be in, right? And then once you, you never get there to hold that and re quote unquote rest, then you're going to be under that constant tension. So that, that burn that that's going to happen from that is pretty, pretty serious. So general recommendation for tempo, slower down, then you go up. There you go. One more, Tori, maybe two. You want to do one big one or like a few one-off common things? Your choice, girl. You got the list. Hmm. I'm going to go with foam rolling and massage guns because... Oh we see one half of those every day. So, yeah. So we do have foam rollers in the gym, but I'm going to let you start with foam rolling overrated or underrated. In what quantity? This <laughs> <laughs> is, you get, you get one shot. I said, overrated, um, underrated. I'll say it's overrated. Why? I just feel like people put too much trust in it. Maybe. I'm coming from a, a massively different perspective, but yeah. I'm also going to say that's, that's why overrated because there are better things you can do with your time. And I will dive into that. So nobody at me after this because I said that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to also say uh, overrated 
and similar to why Tori had said it, but we're going to dive into this a little bit more detail, but I think people do put too much trust in it, that it's a cure-all. But I think that there's a, a lot of better things that you could do. It does definitely have a place. Mm-hmm. And if you use it correctly and in the right place, in the right context, it, it can be very useful. And I think like the over the, like that's why it's overrated because people use that massage guns. And they think that's going to help cure or fix their back pain or fix their hamstring or fix their calf or fix their shin splints or fix whatever. And people used to be like, Oh, I just need to go foam roll for 10 minutes. I'll be right back. Okay. Your back's still going to be tight in 12 minutes. <laughs> so right. whatever that looks like. So Tyler's going to dive into it. He, right. Ty comes from a clinical perspective a little bit and they, and you know, it's, it's a manual therapy essentially and passive manual therapies obviously have a place and from in different purposes, different contexts. So we'll have him as a clinician dive into it. And then as we've been doing, I'm sure I will put my two cents in for sure as we go two or three. So uh, in terms of, you know, foam rolling, um, massage guns, those kind of self massage or self manipulation kind of techniques, there is a time and a place like Anthony said, um, in most of the issues or limitations or injuries we're talking about, it's probably more of something that's just been going on for a while. This nagging thing that's getting more, um, annoying and, and that's a, a good place for it. But whenever someone tells me that they foam roll or they use a massage gun, and they follow up with saying, I just need to do more of it. My first question is, well, how long have you already been doing it? And most of the time, I'm sure Anthony can agree. The person says, oh, you know, well, um, I've, I've had it for a year. I've, I've been doing it for a while. And my follow-up question is, well, if it hasn't worked yet, what makes you think you still need to keep doing it? Now, from a clinical standpoint, we can think of foam rolling and massage guns like kind of like massage therapy or things like that. Right. As a physical therapist, I do plenty of manual techniques um, targeted at soft tissue like muscles and tendons, you know, targeted at the bones and the joints, trying to get them to move around, targeted at the nervous system. All of those things are valuable to help you get to the next place. So foam rolling, massage, massage guns, it opens a window for opportunity for better movement or less pain-free or less restricted movement. And that's where I said before, it's overrated because there are better things you can do. If someone starts their session every day with 10 minutes of foam rolling or they massage gun every inch of their body before they start training, I'm gonna tell them not to necessarily not do those things, but let's bring it down, two minutes. Give yourself a two minute clock on your phone and that's when you stop, right? Anthony used to say five or 10 passes over each muscle group and then move on. It's because it allows you to really feel those areas. It kind of relaxes things. It relaxes your nervous system. It gets you in a position or a state to move better. So then you can take your body that's now feeling better and work on those tempos or work on those positions or do some, do some quality exercise so that eventually you're moving so well and with such um, freedom that you don't need the foam roller, or the massage gun or the, the manual work anymore. Yeah, I would agree with all that. And I think the, the practice, I did a couple of different things on my Instagram recently. I talked about, yes, it has a place. And you, if you wanted to loosen up or get some, open that up window of opportunity for a certain area, you can use it for a couple of minutes, like set a timer, two minutes, hang out in that spot, find some loose, uh, find some gnarly stuff in there that you might find 
and then move on to something that's going to help you create more space and more opportunity. And then we have to also, uh, what I like Kevin Carr had talked about was you got to hit that save button, mm-hmm. right? So, so when you create that window of opportunity, you then have to move yourself through those ranges of motion and then you have to load it in some way to click, click the save button. So next time, like Tyler was saying, you don't, you don't have that dependency on that foam roller all the time. And one of the things that I was just thinking about today is that really cracks me up is people will be deadlifting and then they'll foam roll their back in between sets. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> the thing about... It's like, that's not going to do anything. No. Yeah, I mean, it might... I guess it makes you feel a little bit better, but then you're going... You're, you're, and then what's happening in that opportunity, in that sense, is you, if you are releasing your central nervous system, you don't want your central nervous system relaxed when you're going to pull a heavy deadlift. <laughs> They're counterintuitive, right? So foam rolling is great if you want to go to sleep and you want to calm your central nervous system down. And this is what Kevin talks about too in a, at Mike Boyle's facility is they have people come in and foam roll and the, the, the changes that you see, if you see somebody who becomes more flexible in their hamstrings from foam rolling for five minutes, their hamstring didn't become more flexible. They had a neurological change. So the things that are happening are simply neurological and all it did was calm you down a little bit. It just relieved some stress. If you come in the gym and you're high strung and you're at a 10, out of 10, coming in and foam rolling and get yourself to an eight might allow you to have a little bit better training experience. So having that sort of stuff happen and then, but doing it in between sets of an exercise might actually be more detrimental than good because you, when you're pulling a heavy deadlift, you want your central nervous system up. You want to be ready to take on that, to be able to be tense and be able to pull it. Uh, whereas opposed you don't want to be relaxing in between sets and like calming your central nervous system down. Well, because all of those things that you're feeling, that tension, um, that tightness, that guarding, that is your body, your nervous system telling you something needs to be done or something's not okay or it's protecting you. When you walk into the gym or you walk into your house after work or in the morning and you always have a little tight spot on your lower back, instead of foam rolling it to get it to go away, you should ask yourself, why is that happening? Maybe it's something's not strong enough. Maybe it's something's not stable enough. Maybe it's a joint nearby or an area nearby isn't moving as well. And foam rolling is fine because it gets you to move better and feel better in the moment. But by only foam rolling, you're ignoring the alarm or the red flag from your body telling you, hey, we need to do something because I don't feel right. So I'm going to lock up or I'm going to tighten up so that you can't use this area. And when you go and foam roll in between sets, you're basically telling your body to shut up every time and just let's go back to lifting heavy. Mm-hmm. And it's going to make it worse eventually. Yeah. And I, I put this in my newsletter yesterday, two days ago, uh, that pain never precedes dysfunction. Right. So when you have pain in an area, it's not because you slept poorly last night. <laughs> it's because you've been doing something potentially incorrectly for the last three, six, nine, 12, 18 months that has now reared its ugly head in pain. So we don't, we, we have to look at, as Tyler's saying, we have to look at the reason why those things are coming out and what dysfunction, quote unquote dysfunction, has elicited this pain that I'm now feeling, right? It can be something as far back as, like I had a really bad sprained ankle in high school, like 25 years ago, and I still have poor ankle mobility on that side. And then my hip on that side, because I don't, because I can't skip my knee as far forward on my squat on that side, I can't keep my hip as I have some hip rotation and things. So like, I know that these things exist and then you start looking at the reasons why they might happen or why the, where those pains come from and things like that. 
funny story is I had a woman come in yesterday. Tori was there, I think, with the bunion. Yeah. Yeah. So I, a woman, I have a personal training, an older client. She comes in a few minutes late. Tori, Tori and I are sitting in the lobby. She's changing her shoes. Her, her biggest complaint is that she has really bad right knee pain. And she's changing her shoes. And I'm like, hey, how long has that bunion been there on your foot? That's pretty serious. That's a pretty bad bunion. Like pretty serious. She's like, yeah, my husband jokes that I have like fins because my feet are so bad. And I was like, she's like, I've had it for a very long time. I was like, have you had it just as long as you've had knee pain? She was like, yeah, why? What does that have to do with it? I was like, it has everything to do with it. Like if your feet aren't functioning correctly, your ankles aren't functioning correctly, which then your knees aren't functioning, you know, like it just goes up the chain and then you start having, and then it like, it was like this mind blowing <laughs> thing to her that she could not fathom that the, her bunions on her feet had anything to do with anything else in her body. And I was like, yeah, man, this is why when I do work with my athletes, like we spend a half hour barefoot on the field, like doing warmups mm -hmm. and all the soccer girls, I tell them all the time, like soccer cleats are the worst thing for you. As soon as you can take them off. Like they're like so narrow soccer cleats and they want them as tight as possible so they can feel the ball. Yeah. So you need to take that stuff off as quick as possible and then be barefoot, be in barefoot shoes as much as possible, feel the ground and spread your toes and all that kind of stuff because all that stuff has an impact on everything that happens. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, if you like the, if you like the way a foam roller feels or a massage gun or whatever it may be, use it man. use it, but use it in a brief enough time that you can move on to the stuff that Anthony's talking about and, and more, right? Foam roll and then get your shoes off and walk around. Foam roll and then do some banded exercise for your shoulders. You know, foam roll and then work on that hip mobility or whatever it may be. But reduce the amount of time that you're doing these self-massage techniques to give you more time to do other things that are going to hopefully make you not have to do any of it anymore. Yeah. I think we have time for one more. <laughs> one more? Yeah, we're at like 43 and some change right now. 44, I think. What's the limit? Uh, usually an hour. All right. Do you want to get into the whole barefoot training or is that too much? Oh, I mean, we're there already. I guess right. we might as well do it. Let's do that. One. All right. So I, I didn't even know we had that one. Perfect. So barefoot training. Tori, is it overrated or underrated? I would say underrated. <laughs> I took my shoes off at the golf course the other day. I almost tagged you to like laugh oh, about have. it. Did it I, feel great? Yeah. But I felt like I hit it a little bit better too. How was your hip rotation? Did I was paying attention pain? to it. No, back? I haven't had back pain. Just my shoulders recently. Overrated, underrated. Yeah, I'm going to just, you know, for the sake of conversation, I'm going to say overrated and I'm going to have some backup for it. All right. I'm going to say underrated as well. And I think there's a lot of research that shows if you can be barefoot on natural surfaces, grass, stone, rocks, so on and so forth, that there's some, there's a concept called grounding. And it talks about even like neurologically, most of our proprioceptors, which is the things that allow us to feel things, are in our feet and hands. That's how we feel the earth and that's how we feel the world. And if we limit those things every day, it just limits a whole lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, our body uses a few specific things to tell us where we are in space, right? So Anthony's saying one of them is the sensory nerves on our hands and our feet and on our skin and things like that. But we also have those same or similar kinds of nerves inside our joints, right? So if you think of the two sides of the bone kind of rubbing against each other, there's nerve endings in there and they're t constantly telling your brain how bent or straight that joint is. If we take that concept and we apply that to uh, probably the 30 plus joints in your feet, plus the sensory nerves on the end of, on the bottom of your feet, that's a lot of information. They said overrated. It is overrated, right. but I'm gonna talk about why. All right. 
So you just gave me a lot of ammo for being uh, for being even more underrated. Yeah, that's just I'm just building you <laughs> up so I can just break it right down. But if you take all of those all of that input and information for your brain, which also helps you move better and feel better, and you cover it with a shoe, you've, you got yourself an issue. Now, the reason I said overrated is because I think that when people learn about the concept of barefoot training or minimalist shoes or or things like that, they go way too hard. Most of us are born with parents who put us in shoes naturally, and we spend 97% of our lives in shoes other than we're, when we're walking around at home. Now, some of us played around a ton as kids without shoes. Some of us had parents that were like into no shoes or whatever, but then we learn about this thing and we're like, heck yeah, this is it. Natural minimalist. I'm going to go buy the finger shoes or the... My kids have, have barefoot shoes, by the way. Yeah, the barefoot <laughs> shoes, right? But if you are like Anthony's kids who are wearing intermittently barefoot shoes, barefoot shoes throughout the day, and they're doing sports that require no shoes and things like that, then when you get to 20, 30, 40, 50, bare, barefoot training is okay, okay? Our feet were meant to have no shoes, I agree. But after 18, 25, 35 years of wearing shoes, your feet are now meant to wear shoes. And it's going to take you 6, 12, 18 months to appropriately train at a good considerable intensity without shoes. Now, if we're talking about barefoot living or barefoot preparation for training, I'm in. Take your shoes off, ground yourself, get in the grass, walk on some soft rocks, do some balance exercises without shoes on. But if you're going to talk about training without shoes, it may take you some time before you're squatting your max rep back, back squat or you're or running those m miles without shoes on because there's a massive amount of anatomical and physiological processes that need to ramp themselves up to get you prepared to run without shoes. So the finger shoes, the Vibram five finger shoes, I had a pair when they first came out and became very popular, which was probably, I was, in, I was teaching in New York city and I was living in my first apartment. So it must've been circa 2008. Okay. So we're talking like 13 years ago. And shortly after that, maybe like two or three years after that, the shoe company actually got sued because a lot of people were doing exactly what Tyler is saying. They were going from, hey, I'm a marathoner or I run a lot. I'm going to go do my daily 5K from these really high cushioned like Hoka type shoes, which have become very popular. And I'm going to go right into my Vibram Five Fingers. And what happened is a lot of people had stress fractures in their feet, shins, and all sorts of stuff. Because like Tyler is saying, they were not prepared to do that. And then Vibram came out with all this other stuff like, hey, here is your your progression to play barefoot. Yeah. Right. Do your warm ups barefoot. Do your cool downs barefoot. Do that. And that's when I do barefoot training, that's how we program it and progress it for my athletes. It's mostly warm ups. And if they want to, some of them lo still love doing stuff barefoot. If they're like, hey, can I can I deadlift barefoot today? Does it feel good? Rock and roll. Go for it. Right. We if they if they want to do certain things barefoot and it feels good for them and they like it. Whatever's going to allow them to enjoy the process and training better, then I do that. We don't do plyometrics. We don't do sled work barefoot. We don't, we will run barefoot on occasion and we don't do anything that's going to like really like pound their feet. Because if you are a poor runner, there is nothing on your heel to prevent you from crushing it, right? Your heel is just your heel mm -hmm. and some skin and maybe a little bit of a pad, but there's nothing there. So if you're a heel striker 
and you try to go out and run in a barefoot shoe, you're going to be feeling pretty bad tomorrow, right? So you also, as a barefoot trainer, you'd have to be a different type of athlete than you might have been with a shoe on. So you're going to have to run differently. You're going to have to do a lot of things differently because your feet and your body and the rest of the joints up the chain don't know what to do in that context. Yeah, yeah. I mean, having the least amount of things to help you live your life is ultimately the best. But there are just some tools we need or else we can't do some things we want to in life. You can't grab a steak from the store and karate chop it with your hand because you need a tool to cut it. I thought you were going to say something about grab it with your foot. (laughs) Gosh, what a weird, you created a very weird picture in my brain, but right. You can, you can get yourself to where you can live most of your life without shoes, but there are going to be things you need shoes for. It's just a tool. And for most of us, we need that tool 90% of the time, unless you take the appropriate amount of time to progress yourself to only needing that tool 20% of the time. Yeah. I, I, and like I said, we're, I'm not, I don't, we're talking about barefoot training being overrated. Um, at least I was. And Tyler is underrated in terms of like, just like everything we talked about, the underrated, overrated, it's based off of how much people take it, mm-hmm. right? The world that we live in is, is just full of extremes, more so now than ever. While there is validity in both ends of the extremes, it's always better to be in the middle, right? Because there's always, yes, there's validity in doing some barefoot training and and no, you shouldn't barefoot run a marathon on day one. So just like there's there's benefit in high-intensity training and there's benefit in low-intensity training, but you shouldn't do high-intensity training every day and you shouldn't go for a five-mile run every day and you shouldn't just do the low-intensity stuff all the time because maybe you, and, and also you shouldn't just like walk every day. I think that's one of the things that, I don't know if it grinds my gears, but like walking to me isn't enough exercise for some folks. It's too low and it's just basic human movement where like if you're trying to be super fit, like walking isn't enough. What if they walked with a tempo? Walked with a tempo, like yeah. a, like a like a like power a, walk, like, like a speed walk? No, like three second step and a pause. You wouldn't get very far. <laughs> pause every step in a pseudo lunge. <laughs> and um, so like all these different things, like the extremes, they all have validity. And I think that's the important part. If you kind of gathered all the different things we've been talking about, while we did say overrated or underrated, there was a lot of buts and accepts and this, that sort of the other thing in there. So you just want you to take that, you know, moderation is always key. Yes. Yes. High intensity is good. Yes. Low intensity is good. Yes. Foam rolling is good. No foam rolling is not good. So there's, but yes, there's is some benefits to all of the things we're talking about. And that's what I want you to the take home message to be is that yes, we rated things overrated, underrated off, off the jump, but then we had to have some, context to it all to make sure that we are giving you the tools and the knowledge to then use that to go help you what Tori find your prime and that's it (laughs) that should be the new intro song yeah Tyler 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 doing prime in the background in the shadow so Ty thanks for hanging out Tori pleasure as usual I'm always here glad to be here and till next time peace Thanks again for hanging out for another episode of the Prime Podcast. As usual, we'd love to hear some feedback, get some reviews, and so on and so forth. The reviews really help us know that what the information that we're giving is valuable to you and that we can continue to bring valuable information to you through the podcast. 
right? The podcast does cost money and time to create. So we do want to know that what we are doing is being consumed and used by you. So again, quick review, some feedback, some comments. We'd love to hear it. Have a great day. Love you. I'm at my prime.